Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to Clever Investor Show. Today, I got a special guest. He's an absolute stud entrepreneur. Most of you guys probably know him. He, he He's phenomenal at social media. He's the founder of the Game Changers Academy. Over 60,000 entrepreneurs have gone through his training. He's a best-selling author, endorsed by Forbes. I mean, freaking Robert Kiyosaki wrote the foreword of this guy's book. Peter Vood, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. I'm excited to be here. It's, yeah, it's still kind of surreal to hear that Kiyosaki uh, quoted my book because I grew up listening to him. I know. Isn't that wild? Yeah. He was the first. The book that changed the game was Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 18. So it's crazy, but I'm, I'm honored to be here, man. I've always respected you. It's funny if we're going to just be real right away. My wife a couple of days ago was like, oh, you're, you're going to see uh, Cody again? He's like one of the only ones I really like. like I respect him. <laughs> and she don't like a lot of people. Oh, you know, that's in good. In space, it's so fluffy. She's like, I don't like them. I could tell they're fake. I don't know if I should say that. But she's like, I really like Cody. He's a real deal. Oh, that's so, good. I, it, it's a better compliment coming from her than me. She, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You know, <laughs> she women have emotional intelligence. They get For it. For sure. They get it. They know. My wife does that all the time where she's like, that's a bad dude. Don't do business it's weird. With and they're always right. And they're always right. And I always do it anyway. And then I learned See, the hard I don't. way. Yeah. <laughs> I've already, I did it, but I learned the hard way. Yeah. Now now I'm to a point now where I, I just shut up and listen. Yeah. I'm fully trained. But I was 18 years, bro. You and, and you just had your second kid? Yeah. Life's crazy, man. I tell people it's it's like running another business, like each kid when they're younger. It's like the timing. <laughs> yeah. And and how much time because I want to be the present father that's there and, and I don't want to work 24-7 like my my ambition wants me to, but I like to be there for them. So having two is just like, it's never ending. Yeah. We got to get up way earlier before they get up if I want to get any reading time done. So it's, I wouldn't change it. Uh, Santana's two and a half and Sienna's one. So they're close. Wow. You got your hand full. Yeah. One was planned, one wasn't. Oh yeah? Did you do like a power move or something? I like, what's the secret to getting a, a no girl comment, pregnant? No comment, dude. I can't, I can't, no comment. <laughs> is there, is there, is there secret a special sauce. move? Um, all right, so let, let's talk a little entrepreneurship. So the whole point of this podcast, obviously, is making money, multiplying money, uh, managing your money better. So many people screw up the money game. And then really making your money matter, right? Doing, d- d- not just creating the freedom, but like doing something epic with it. Um, so that way there's a give back to it, a whole, whole purpose. Um, so uh, h- how did you get your start making money? Because you're, you're phenomenal at sales. How did you get good so great question. I was 15 and I, my dad uh, did construction. So I would work with him with construction. And as much as you think you know, you don't know much when you're 15, but I knew that I did not like hard labor. I was like, I don't want to be on these roofs, these roofs, whatever you call them. I don't want to shovel sand. I don't want to paint. So there was an instance that I'll never forget that kind of was a pretty big breaking point where my friend worked for him as well. We both worked for my dad. And, uh, we were shoveling sand from one area to another and it was like six, seven hours of work. But I had figured out eBay. I don't know how I figured it out, but I had bought and sold shoes on eBay. So I started on eBay when I was 15. And this instance was he, he worked all day long and he made about $63. He was making seven bucks an hour. And I had checked something online and I had made $91. And I just, it took me 15 minutes to post it. So I'm, I'll never, I have chills. I'll never forget this moment. I'm sitting there like, how did I just make $91 kind of in thin air? And my friend just worked his ass off for yeah. eight hours. I go, is this, is this like real life? Yeah. And I was just confused. It's clicking. I was it's, confused yeah. though. 
But I realized later, I got paid for the courage to think differently and take some risks. So I doubled and tripled down on buying and selling shoes. I was selling uh, bulk orders of Lacoste shirts. I would hire my friends. And I was seeing, I wasn't making millions, but I was seeing a lot of money at 16, 17 years old. But here's what happened. If we want to talk entrepreneurship, I'm from a small town of 6,000 people. It's a super small town on the Oregon coast. So I started making all this money and everybody, including my parents, are like, that's not sustainable. You have to get a normal job. I said, but I'm making way more than people at normal jobs that hate what they do. It doesn't matter. You have to do it. And I'm like, why do I have to do it? So I I wasn't as as strong-willed as I am now. So I was like, okay. So I got a job valeting cars at a casino and hated it. And I would add up my paychecks. And I realized like, no matter what I did, no matter when I showed up, no matter how valuable I became, I'm making the same money. And that was my last job I ever had. Wow. Do you think people are born with hustler in them? Or do you think that could be a learned thing? You know, because it's like, how do you become an entrepreneur? You, you're, you're so, people are so conditioned. I, I, yeah, Is it in them? I, I or think can it's they a learn mix. I think it's a mix of both, but I think some people are born and, and their environment forces them to value security over freedom because that's what everybody else does. That's the majority of society. That's what most parents do. That's what grandparents did. I, I, I read something, Tody, and, uh, and I'll bring this up. I was reading the book, The Psychology of Money. So it's funny we're on this podcast, but they said- M- in, Morgan in, Hansel. Yeah. Great book. From 1800 to like 1930 or 40, 80-something percent of jobs, you didn't have to use your brain. You could turn your brain off and go to work, and that's it. But now, it's like 80-something percent of jobs, you have to use your brain or you'll be left behind. And our generation, my parents and their grandparents and their grandparents aren't used to that. So I think using your brain and really thinking things through and becoming an entrepreneur, you have to go against society in a way. So, and people don't want to do that. So I think, I, I don't want to say you're born with it, but I think that helps if you figure out what you hate. I didn't like other people telling me what to do. I always felt boxed in. I always felt like I was against the grain in school. Uh, I felt like I was always judged. So I just didn't want to take the normal route, but I, I don't, it's hard to say if it's, if it's. Uh, I, I feel like, not. I feel like for me, if I was to drill down and drill down and go like seven, eight, nine, ten 10 layers deep, it is control. Mm-hmm. It is that feeling of like, it's not even like, oh, I got to make millions and millions of dollars. It's I have to be in control because if I feel out of control, I have all this anxiety. I hate I hate everything. I'm stressed all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I put way too much pressure on myself. Even if I'm a crappy entrepreneur, I'd rather be doing that than being told what to do, what to wear, when to show up. Um, yeah, that always, it was just weird. It just was, I didn't want someone else telling me what to do and what I was worth and when to leave, when I can go yeah. to the bathroom. And then, and then I also have a pretty like very clear memories of almost everybody around me, even family members, aunts, uncles, friends, my mom's friends, always complaining about their work and complaining about their job and complaining about their boss. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 15, 16, 17, and all I hear is complaints about a nine to five. Yet there everyone's telling me, get a nine to five. It's like, why are you guys all bitching about what you do, but then you're telling me to do it? It was a weird, it was a weird thing. And when you're 18, you have all these emotions. I'm just like, I got to do something different. Yeah, I like that. Strange. So I I uh, I discovered selling drugs, so that was a good hustle. You were twelve or eleven? I, I, no, I was a little in <laughs> that. I was a little in that. I was in eighth grade. Can you believe that? Grade. Seventh grade started smoking weed. By eighth grade, I okay, was. Okay, you have to tell me if you're joking bit. or serious. No, I'm serious. Okay, wasn't sure. Yeah, no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I was. I and I never got caught. So thank God. Like, and it was. It was. Yeah, get caught now. And I did some stupid shit. Just I. I before we post this, we got to look up statute limitations on some of the shit <laughs> I'm about to say. But it's uh, you know, it's like uh, 
um, carrying around lots of ecstasy or lots of acid and not understanding. How'd you get into it? it? A friend? Uh, no, I, well, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I seventh grade, me and my best friend ran into a guy who sold us a joint and we smoked it and we loved it. And it was like, oh man, this is great. And then we started So at that time, it. I'm always curious. So parents- You were, ever done drugs? Uh, yeah, but not, not no hard drugs. Okay. I've yeah. only smoked weed a couple times. Yeah, I highly I'm recommend smoking. don't do it. <laughs> but 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 parents-wise- <laughs> Or do it. I don't were, know which one I recommend. At that time, were you super close with your parents? Yeah, or were no, you more I, I pure? Great, no, I had great, great- They just didn't know. Uh, you know, when I was a little kid, Weed was never like a thing. My parents were not like ever like, don't do drugs, never smoke weed, stay away from that stuff. They were more, a little bit more hippie-ish. They never did anything around me. I never saw drugs ever one time. But they knew it wasn't horrible. Well, not weed and stuff like that. Now, everything else, they were like, don't do any hard shit. Uh, but I did catch my dad. We used to crawl up on my roof um, because my neighbor's mom would sunbathe topless in her backyard. <laughs> And Travis Pester, if you're listening, your mom was so hot when I was a kid. And uh, and we used to crawl up, me and Charlie Barber would crawl up on, on my roof. I had a flat roof. And we would, you know, check out Travis's mom. And uh, one day we crawled she up there. She knew to you see were watching. It. Oh, yeah. No, she loved it. All the kids. And we would run off the roof. She would look up there and we'd all scurry off the roof, you know. Um, and anyways, one day we got up there and we were looking for Travis's mom and my dad and his friend are in our backyard and they're like huddled around and I see like these puffs of smoke. And when my dad turned around, he was holding a giant ceramic dick bong. His buddy, Ken, brought over this giant ceramic dick bong. And they didn't know you were going to see it? No, they went and snuck in the backyard and they're back there ripping this dick bong think cracking up like they're just howling they think it's the funniest <laughs> thing and me and and so you know being a little shithead kid i come busting in the gate i'm like what are you guys doing in the look of my dad's face he was terrified he was so mortified that he got caught and like no, there's no worse way to get caught smoking weed than out of us and his whole life goal is to have you not see him yeah yeah ever because he my dad never did anything around me ever you know but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just- So you're selling, go back. So you're eighth grade, you're selling, making good money? Or? Uh, little hustle, little hustle, little like, like you know, if I wanted to make an extra 100, 200, 300 bucks, it was never like big time. Later on in high school, like 10th, 11th, 12th, I was selling more, um, but I was also a, a user. So I wasn't a good drug dealer. I was like- I'm not a, supposed to use. I did enough just to like supply myself and make a little money to survive. But I did. Uh, I did get smart. I was. I was. Uh, I sold. I used to skateboard around and like drop off weed and stuff. And then finally, I got sick and tired of going around to people. So I just got a job at Burger King because one of the guys I was don't supplying, tell me he's in the drive-through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the guys I was supplying for was the manager at Burger King, and he's like, I, I pitched him. I said, Hey, listen, I'll keep supplying you, but you put me in the drive-through so my clients can come through and, and pick it up. And so that was the the birth of the drive-through dealer. You know what's funny is by my high school, I found out years later there was a Burger King and they did it out of that Burger King. Did they really? So this is a thing. This is a thing. See, you know, Burger King, they 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 breed entrepreneurs over there, Burger King. Yeah, that's funny. You know, but thank God I never got caught. That would have been horrible. And I, I the biggest thing- Or would it have been a lesson though? No, it would have been horrible. <laughs> my, I, I, Your parents would have killed you. I flew one time with a book of acid, a book. That's a hundred cheats. It was so stupid. I, I lit up half of Kansas. And you never got caught. I never got caught. But but at Greensburg, Kansas, you're welcome. 
uh, the, there's a very small town and half, You're of, have them, a comment half of them below are, like, dude, I'm are, from there. Half, half of them are tripping balls. So, <laughs> uh, but thankfully, uh, when I was getting out of high school I, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself and I enrolled in community college, I went for half a day. That's how long my college career lasted in the beginning. Went for half a day and then uh, realized that wasn't for me. And then I went and joined the military. And that was the best thing that I could have ever done because it disconnected me from that environment. Quit doing drugs, cold turkey, quit wow. doing all that stuff. And I was- And, was and got you disciplined? Or were you already oh, yeah. pretty disciplined? Uh, no, it got me disciplined for sure. Interesting. Yeah. So, what, yeah. so coming you were, back- You're not interviewing me. I'm interviewing yeah, you. Yeah, but what I'm are you fascinated. Talking about? I mean- you're my, you're kind of my, like my big brother mentor. So I always like asking, I so I guess we'll go back to me. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I just want to know where did the, where did the sales skills come from? You know, because you were, you were, were you doing door to door? No. Uh, so I was, I did direct sales, but I had to run my own. So I'll start with sales. I got into a direct sales job where you have to you start with friends and family, build a referral base and go from there. And I actually was really bad at it, but looking back, when you were talking about high school, I sold a lot of stuff in high school. Jordans. I, everyone would come to me. I was selling uh, sidekick phones. I just would get things for cheap and sell them. So everyone knew I was selling stuff. So I don't know where it came from. I just always liked providing and selling things and giving people deals. I used to burn CDs and sell them to people. So when I actually got into sales, it was such a game changer, Cody, because it was the first time in my life besides hustling where I could actually get paid for the work I put in. And because the job I had, you can't get paid for the work you put in, you get paid for being there. So I got into sales and I remember the first day of the training class, I'm like, dude, this is, this is where I could really show my skills. And so the first 10 days you have what's called a fast start. And this was in Eugene, Oregon, after I got out of U of O. So I dropped out of business school, which it took me a couple of years to even tell people that. Because it's like, if you tell people you dropped out, they're like, you're the biggest failure on earth. That's what you think in your head. Now I'm like proud of it. I'm like, sorry, grandma, I'm not getting my degree. <laughs> she still asked me. So I got into sales and I actually, at the beginning, I, I did well because of my, I knew a lot of people and I broke the record in, in Eugene, Oregon. So it's not some sad story where it's like, I was an absolute failure. And then I went all out for 10 days and it was like, I really found something I loved. It was like, I think I made three or $4,000 in a week and I was 21, 20. 20 or 21. So three or $4,000 is pretty big money. But I, I didn't like just selling. So after the whole summer, I did well, I made money, but I realized, oh my gosh, this is my key to never having a normal job. I love this. And then fast forward about eight months. And I was the quickest in my company's history to go from being an official sales rep to doing a million dollars as an actual manager because I didn't want to sell. I like to help people sell. So I went on a field training, which means someone comes with me. I've never really told this story. You always get out funny stories from me. Um, so someone pe someone asked me a while back, where did you start getting fulfillment from helping people or where did you know you wanted to be a leader or, or inspire people? Someone said, hey, go with Peter. Take this kid with you. He wants to learn how to just be better. I said, I don't know how to teach him. They go, don't do anything. Just tell him to come with you. Just do what you do. I'm like, all right. He came with me. Uh, he was about to quit. He saw me sell some type of $1,000 set. And he said, you know, I was doing it wrong. And uh, I realized what I'm doing. I was going to quit, but because of this, I'm going to keep trying. He had one of his best weeks he ever had. And there was a team meeting. He was like, I just want to thank Peter. You, you totally changed my life. I didn't quit. My, something about his parents are struggling or they're going to get evicted. And now he doesn't have to struggle or something. I love that. And I was like, whoa. And all you did was what you were doing. I didn't doing. do anything. Yeah. He just followed me. So I'm like, 
geez, that's, I've never had this feeling of like, I was like proud. I'm like, I just helped this kid. I didn't even know I helped him. So that's when I was like, I want to sell, but I also want to lead. I want to build a team. So fast forward, I started my own, I became an actual manager up in Seattle area and failed miserably, like almost went broke. I wanted, I, I almost had to move back home because selling yourself and succeeding yourself is way different than with a team. So we both know people, Cody, that are very high achievers. They can't build a team for crap. Horrible leaders, great individual performers. I think you're missing out on life if you're just a performer and you can't impact people. So I had to learn for that next nine months to a year, like how to actually build a team and impact and inspire. So I think I got good at sales by just experience. And I was obsessively studying. I was studying the psychology of people. I would read books. I I was obsessed. I feel like I had something to prove. So 22, three, four, I went from dead broke to six figures and seven figures a year or two after that because I was hungry. I'd wake up at four or five. I'd do my P90X. I would read Brian Tracy's Maximum Achievement book. And I would just think about how to maximize my business, my results every day. I'd miss family events. I would miss weddings. I'd miss things. My family, hey, where are you, what are you doing? You're working. It's not all about work. I'm like, it's not all about work, but I want to sacrifice now so I can have an amazing lifestyle that most of you guys don't have. And I just, I had that hunger. So I got good by just obsession in a sense and failing. And for anybody listening to this, you know, you got to have that energy. You got to be willing, you know, to do the short-term sacrifice for the long-term gains. Most people aren't. They say yeah, it. They talk it. They, they, they say they are. And then the, when then shit hits the fan or she gets tough or it's more expensive or it takes longer, or everybody starts giving you their opinion, they get sidetracked. For so, sure. And I almost I love did. That. I almost did a couple of times. But I just, my, 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 my vision and my hunger for a better life, and I had all these little things in my head from my, when I was younger, from people telling me what to do, from everyone hating their job, from me not wanting to work for somebody, just kept playing. So you have to find these reasons. And, and you're probably playing. trying to escape Eugene, Oregon on some Thousand level. Percent. Like, hey, I want, I want, I want more. For sure. Yeah. You've probably been there if you know that. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I didn't want to live there long. Well, all right. So um, I want to talk about something because like you went off and you created this really cool academy, right? And all these entrepreneurs started coming to you, going through it. You were able to network your way into some of the biggest circles. All right. Um, what advice would you give somebody who's trying to like build something big like that, that has a vision, but they don't know any connections. They don't know anybody. Like, how did you break in and get guys like a Kiyosaki to write a forward of a book? Or, um, uh, I mean, geez, you've entered, who, who all of you interviewed or been around? I mean, a lot of everybody, people. all the big dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could name a ton of them. We've interviewed a lot of crazy people and it's, and we've connected with people like Elon Musk, who I had him booked for an interview, but because of, they said he can't do interviews if there's bad press out and that never ends. So it's been a year we haven't got an interview, but we connected with this team. So yeah. uh, first, I think realizing that everyone that has amazing networks and connections, I'm talking about the 95% who are self-made, not the ones that had this inheritance. Most people who have amazing networks once didn't. So you have a, a huge network. Did you have a network like that when you were younger? Did you know it? No. So I think the first thing is understanding everyone that has an amazing network that you see once didn't. And I, thinking back, it's first having to gain some clarity of exactly kind of what you want, what industry you want to dominate, who you are, and then who you're not. So I had to get clarity first on what I wanted to accomplish. 
And then I had to go through some growing pains. Uh, I wrote the book, Six Months to Six Figures. And that's kind of when things started to take off. But before that, I went through a lot of challenges of reaching out to people. No one would respond. So here's what was crazy. I was reaching out. I was like, I'll give free speeches. Can I get on your podcast? I was like practically begging. Crickets. Crickets. Then when I started to become more valuable, I started to know myself. I started to create content and and start being something versus acting like I was something. And I started creating and creating versus consuming. And what happened was I positioned myself in a way where people would reach out to me. So it flipped. So instead of I reach out to everybody, I started positioning myself by just getting better at what I was doing. I was mastering my craft. So a lot of people, they just want people to pull them and say, hey, come up with me. I want to be successful like you. No, you have to do something first in a sense. You have to create value. You have to master your craft or at least put some stuff out there and then be strategic with your approach. So for me, I was strategic with my approach. I would add value first always. So the number one thing that I see as a mistake that I made what is the number one thing most millionaires and billionaires value? What, what, what do they value most in life? Usually it's their time. Time. Yeah. Number one thing. What is the number one thing newbies ask for? Oh, can I have your time? Yeah. That's the dumbest thing you could ever <laughs> ask for because it's the number one thing they value. Now, if you start giving actual uh, results or show them you're different first, I would review, if it was an author, I'd review their book. I'd buy 10 copies. I'd give them out to, to people. And I would write a strategic email asking them for nothing. Say, hey, I, I love your book. Uh, we have kind of a similar mission. I'd love to give value any way I can. I've already shared your book with you. I've also bought your course. Thank you for what you do. That's it. Couple weeks later, I'd reach back out. Hey, I'd love to figure out a way to enhance your message or to share your message with the world. My audience isn't that big. I only have 3,000 Twitter followers. I only have 5,000. This is when I was brand yeah. new. And I did it to a lot of people. And then people like Grant Cardone responded. People like uh, Patrick Bet David responded. Evan Carmichael. Um, I'll never forget the people that responded because I wasn't that big. I always are indebted, am indebted to them. You responded when I wasn't that big. So I remember that. But I was persistent. So if Grant didn't respond, I would write him every couple of days on Twitter and on, um, on email and stuff like that on Facebook because they didn't have Instagram back then. And they just reached out. So I just don't think people want it bad enough. And I don't think they're strategic enough. And they give up when things get hard or when people don't respond. So that's the one thing. The second thing is I had a huge breakthrough. This was a big value hack for me. I used to bang my head against the wall trying to figure out my next move in business. What is my next move? How do I go from six figures to seven figures? How do I go from seven figures to eight figures? How do I go from 80K a month to 200K a month? And I could never figure it out on my own. I always would bang my head against the wall and it caused me to almost give up multiple times. When I started elevating my network, I made a list, Cody, of my maintenance friends and my growth friends. Maintenance friends were people that held me back. You either have people that hold you to high standards and hold you accountable or friends that let you off the hook. It's like really the only two you have. So I made a list and I just lowered the time I spent with my maintenance friends and I increased the time I spent with my growth friends, that people that challenged me or friends I wanted to actually uh, be around. And something changed. My network started to elevate. My thinking started to elevate. I wasn't around toxic people who validated mediocrity. And then I had a huge business problem. And Ryan Blair was someone that really helped me too six, seven years ago. Um, I had a huge business problem and I was spending months to figure it out. I could not figure out how to break this. I could not figure it out. I couldn't figure out webinars. I couldn't figure it out. 
one 30-minute phone call with someone solved it. So I said, Jesus, I just spent eight months trying to figure out, seven months trying to figure out this problem. I'm banging my head against the wall. I'm losing money. I'm losing time. I'm losing energy. I'm going to quit. Someone solves it in 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm never going to solve my own problem again. That's mm. when I realized the power of networking. It just clicked. So it's like, people need to understand if you have an amazing network and don't, don't exaggerate. If you have a huge business problem you can't solve, what do you do? You personally. Pick, me? Pick yeah. up the phone and call somebody? 100%. Yeah, every time. Proximity is power. But six-figure six people don't do that. Yeah. They try to do everything on their own. And that's why they never get to a million. And this trips me out because, you know, obviously we both run events and masterminds and 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 to 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 curate high level people or ambitious people and put them in a room together to give them that opportunity so they can build their network. Um it always trips me out when somebody's like you paid ten thousand dollars for a mastermind. That's not even it's that like much. ten grand. <laughs> I pay a hundred thousand yeah. dollars to be in the right room. Uh like there is no price I wouldn't pay mm -hmm. today so I can pay any price for anything I want tomorrow. Like you got to really get there and, and shift your psychology of money. I, I love that you brought up that book because the psychology of money book is a phenomenal yeah. book, by the way. Just go get it. it. Yeah. Uh, audiobook's phenomenal as well. Uh, <clears throat> you stop thinking about it as money and you start thinking about it as speed and you start thinking about it as just a, um, an ability to cut the line and go a lot faster. Uh, so you have this, so you, 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 you started building your brand. You started building content. You started getting in the right rooms. Entrepreneurs started paying attention. You figured out, hey, I can, you know, I figured something out here. I can curate and put a bunch of content together, a bunch of people together. Um, and how was Game Changers born? Was it just you seeing other people make money in online education or was it an accident or was it yeah, passion or so what? So a couple things came together. One, I realized I had a gift. And another person, I'm, I'm realizing in this podcast, because I've said no to a lot of podcasts the last couple of months, just because I don't want to do a lot of podcasts, just select ones. Obviously with you, it's a no-brainer. Um, 2013, end of 2013, early 2014, I, uh, I reach out. I was a, kind of an obsessed kid. I was like intense. Reach out to, to Gary Vee multiple times, finally responds. We have a call, 40-minute call. I'm in Leavenworth, Washington on the balcony. Still remember this. We had a 40-minute call. And I'm like, no one knows who I am. No one knows who I am. So he's he's a, it's crazy that he did that. So- Shout out to Gary Vee for, for doing sure. that. I mean, giving people a shot like that just for zero, persistence. Zero, and zero expectations of anything, of me giving it back. What can I do? Share with my nine followers? You know what I mean? <laughs> So, and that was before my book came out and everything. So literally my book came out. The I next saw something. Year. He just raised $50 million for V friends. Jeez. Something like that. We'll get an NFT. Soon. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> stick around, by the way, here in a minute, I'm, a, I'm about to ask Peter about his NFTs. He's the, one of the first entrepreneurs. He's so cutting edge, sees the future uh, and is willing to take such risks that he converted a, his online education business to an NFT, which was super dope. And I, I it was, as soon as I saw it, I went, Man, I've been talking about this for months, and this guy <laughs> went out and freaking did it. Uh, it was pretty we'll, crazy. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right. So, so you're you're a forty minute phone call with Gary. He Dean. made me realize my strengths. Uh, of I'm a millennial. I succeeded and crushed it as a millennial, and I led a team of millennials. He goes, "That's rare." 
that that's not something most people do. Most people do you're, that. You're, you're the millennial maestro. Yeah, I, I was I was really good. I had a unique gift of motivating younger people to really take action. I would get these kids in my office, Cody, and we broke almost every every record there was. We were doing hundred thousand dollar weeks left and right, um, and we I, I was helping kids make six figures, and I would have kids that didn't even make their bed for their parents in the morning. At my office, six, six to 6.30 doing workouts, then they would make an hour or two hours of calls straight. You know how this is, motivating people. Yep. But they had a purpose, they had a mission. How can you have a purpose and a mission in school when they're telling you what to do all the time? And they don't think about that kids will learn if you actually make it fun and give them stuff they want to learn. But if you just force things on them, they're going to do the opposite. So it makes sense that people were super fired up in our office and they didn't want to go to their job or school. So anyway, so I fast forward. Then I'm thinking about, okay, what is something that's scalable that I could create that is has a tremendous upside that utilizes my strengths and gifts that solves a problem people care about? And it took me months. And then I realized that was it. Creating an academy that was unique and different, exactly how I did it with direct sales, I would be very selective. The key, I did almost everything the exact opposite, where they're like, hire everybody. I'm like, no, 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 we're going to only hire people that I want to hire that I think are the real deal. So what happens is we made it selective. We made it where it was invite only and you had to apply. So I did everything how I did it then. And then I brought, I mixed my ability to motivate and inspire. And then I mixed my strength of connections and networking. And then I brought the two together. So we created this whole thing and, and it just, it blew up. And I would invite people to, we've had a millionaire guest speaker, Cody, every month for our academy since 2014. We never missed a month. Mm. Whether it's like, whether it's like Kiyosaki, whether it's Cardone, whether it's Tony Robbins, whether it's Tim Ferriss, whether it's Ed Milet, whether it's Ryan Garcia, the boxer, whether it's Master P or, or, or his son, Romeo. Like we've had so many crazy speakers on there just sharing knowledge. Whether it's Ryan Serhant, the real estate guy, Tarek Almusa, you, um, all kinds of amazing people. Um, and it's just, it's helped a lot of people get the resources and guidance and training they need to go to the whole new level. And I'm sure mine was probably a top rated. Number top one. Rated number one. Yeah. I, I, I believe that. Yeah. Right, right behind Kiyosaki. Right, right, right below. Because yeah. your stories are better. He, yeah, he's the goat. <laughs> he's the goat. That guy. So that's how it he's, came about. He's wild. Has never stopped. Kiyosaki's wild. If you watch our interviews uh, that I have too, they're, he's hilarious. Oh, dude. And how he's a loose he moves, cannon, but he's fun. He's how fun. he moves at his age, his, his, his zero Fs given is really inspiring. Yeah. Does not care about absolutely nothing. He has leverage. He has his life. He has his money. He has his philosophies. He's like, I don't care. He doesn't care. <laughs> dude, we- People uh, just strive so, to so be I, that. I brought him out to Clever Summit. Yeah, I heard that was insane. It was fun. But you know- you know, he he's he's stubborn. What he wants, he wants. And he's like, I want to sell books from stage. And I'm like, dude, this is not a good idea. Like he want, and we he did. He did. He sold books from stage. He did whatever the hell he wanted. I'm like, it's not a good idea. Only because not because I I love his books and I want everybody to have them, but there's 2,500 people in the audience and like 30 books. Like, and his whole plan was just like rush the stage and buy my books. <laughs> so Tell was, me how it worked. Well, it did really didn't. It didn't. It was a hot mess. It was, it was it. You almost got to watch the clip. We ro I rolled with it because you know, in a live event, you just got to kind of be playful with it. But so where were so the books? So he had his girls. He had his women. Okay, his his girls that okay. were helping him, and he was teaching them commerce. And uh, his his girls came out, and they were Vanna Whiting it, uh, and they were pointing at the books, you know, and all this stuff. And he did his full hour with them on stage with the books, with the books on stage, with them on stage, and then at the end, he sold he sold his books. So how many did he have? Well, 
<laughs> because I was nervous about him selling books, I didn't want him to sell books. I was like, dude, we got to stay on track. You know, you're running an event. I'm like, uh, so what I realized though, is he loved to give out books to the women that walked up to him backstage. Like he would, he would like, he would like to have conversations with pretty, pretty women. So, uh, you know, he had they, every every time a woman walked up to him and said, "Can I have one of your books?" He'd say, oh, "Okay, yeah." And I realized, oh, there's 30 books and there's about 10 women back here. I'm just going to keep sending them up, getting free books until we get rid of some of the books. So that way, by the time we get out on stage, there's only a handful of books left. So I think he had like 25 books by the time we got to stage, or 20 books. That's and odd. sure as shit, he freaking sold them, and it was a massive. By the way, the crowd. Loved it. There was, I don't know, 200, 300 people rushing the stage to buy these 20 books. Dude, that's some supply and demand. He could have probably sold them signed for like 250. That's what I'm saying. And we ended up, he was great. He was a great sport. We ended up auctioning off one of his signed games for charity. And we did all this fun that's stuff. Cool. It, but he made the event, by the way. He We sold a million dollars worth of tickets. And I was probably at about four or $500,000 worth of tickets. Then I I cut the deal with them and I I brought them on as the keynote speaker. So we need- Dude, we sold out within two and a half weeks of announcing him. Just the lineup, having the go. So anybody who's running events or ever thinking about investing in their own stuff, create the spectacle, create the noise, go big. Don't be scared to you know cut a big check. It's not cheap to hire Kiyosaki to come in. You know, it's not cheap to rent out, you know, the, uh, what's the club at the MGM Grand? Uh, Hakkasan. Yeah. Oh, how did I we, know that? We rented out all of Hakkasan. I brought in TI, threw a freaking party, you know, 1,200 real estate crazy people Wish partying with TI. That. It was fun. It, it, but it's a lesson because I, I still am always trying to figure out ways to help shift people's perspective. Do we made $8 million but on listen, that event. listen, you made $8 million and you you sold a million dollars of tickets and you sold half a million from him. Let's let's say you paid him 100K. Most people in society be like, that's crazy. Yeah, but if I go up to you and say, here's 100K and then you give me 500, every person on planet Earth would say that's a no-brainer. But people's brains don't work Yeah, like they that. don't connect. It's not it's Well, not I mean, th think brain. about, <clears throat> I think the new generation is more on it than older generations. Think about it. My dad's parents went through the Great Depression. So there was only two types of people. Either they were either a hoarder, right? Like they 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 socked away every little pretty penny and, and was like, no, 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 don't spend anything because they don't know when it's going to be ripped away from them. Or they were like in fuck it mode. They were like, spend it all, live your live live your life to the fullest and just go for it because you never know when you're gonna not have have the opportunity. And so my parents did the hoarding mindset. So everything was, can I have a new bike? What? No, we're not spending money on that. What are we made of money? What do you think money grows on trees? What do you think? It was all these like phrases that everybody always hears negative about money. So naturally I grow up, I, I could have been conditioned very easily to think like that. And I did for a long time, you know, very conservative with spending money. And I always thought of it as an expense, not as an investment for speed. And it took it's, me yeah. getting into reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. Your limitations somehow your getting limitations in, got shattered. Well, you know what it is. I think I think uh, when I was getting out of the Navy, I went. And, I was going to be a history professor, and I went and spoke to the um, same money as you're making now. <laughs> yeah, 
uh, I went and talked to the history professors at San Diego State University. And uh, I said, how much are you guys making? Are you guys liking your job and all that? And one of them busted up laughing. And he goes, dude, I got a second job, bro. Whoa. And I'm like, you're not convincing this kid to do the history major thing. Uh, but I remember the look on his face and it really sh- it really sk- made me think about my life and like, what do I want? I want to make a lot of money. I want to have nice things. I remember that story when our, in our first interview. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but you got to condition yourself. It's, it's a trained belief. Maybe your parents, like my son, doesn't have any issues with money. I'm always like, how can we create it? What's the problem we got to solve? How can we create it? And that's why he's got, not only does he have that internal hustler spirit that's just born in him, but he also now has the infrastructure around him to to go further faster. And I think that's our job as parents to do a little bit better than our parents did. And uh, because schools won't do it, it has to be taught at home. Oh yeah, it's conditioning, man. And it's it's uh, it's more needed now than ever. If you think about what's going on in the economy right now, you 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 nobody's coming to save you. There's no there's no, like no president, no boss, no parents. Nobody's coming to save you. Like you have to figure it out on your own and build that financial wall around you and your family. It's a weird dynamic right now with society set us up to not respect or value money because then you're greedy, but inflation is 9%. And if you don't have money, you can be controlled and you have no leverage, which is, I think that's where they want us. But at the same time, it's like, I've never met someone in my life who doesn't respect or value money who has any. Most people are like, oh, money's bad. Money's for greedy people. They're broke. Mm. Almost everybody. And it's like, when you realize money is not, money is not emotional. It's not good or bad at all. It's just like, it's just, it is. So if someone is greedy and they have money, then they're greedy. But rich people aren't greedy. Greedy people are greedy. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I'm gonna let you get right back to the episode, but I wanted to share with you something real quick that I think is gonna help your business in a major way. A few years ago, I started a real estate mastermind and we call ourselves the Avengers. It's an experiential mastermind. There's about 175 members. They're all super high level. They're all gaining skills and capabilities. Networking is off the charts. So if you're looking to get plugged into something that's gonna really lift your business up in a major way, check out Join Avengers Mastermind mastermind.com watch the video that's on there read all the information and see if getting plugged into a mastermind would be right for you that's join avengers mastermind.com most of my rich friends and i and i think it's probably just who we attract or who we're attracted to um most of my rich friends are the biggest givers i know for sure me too by far and i'm sure there are some and i did i actually i've known a few sharks that were very what's in it for me we don't hang out with them. For sure. And we don't do, you know. Th- that's why are- we're talking about make money matter. That's because it. if you were a giver before you had money, you're 10 times more of a giver with money as for well. For sure. I love taking care of people in my family. I love paying for stuff. I love actually giving people amazing experiences. But that's how I was when I didn't have a lot of money. But when someone's like rich people are greedy, they have to pinpoint and get deep inside and figure out why they think that. Yeah, where's that some- come from? Was someone greedy that had money when you grew up? Because I know greedy people that are broke, greedy people that are rich. I know amazing people that are broke and amazing people that are rich. If you correlate that with money, that's 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 like a low IQ thing to do. Yeah. So it's just weird. Speaking of money, the future of money, crypto. Dude, how did you pull off being the first, I think you were the first, in the education space that I know of at least, that looked at NFTs, looked at cryptocurrency, you were so cutting edge and you were like, you know what? I'm going to create my own NFT. So to educate people on what is an NFT, what is your NFT, and what was the thought process behind it, and how did you pull it off? Because there's no instruction manual, bro. You <laughs> were like sure. the pioneer with his wagon 
going through the desert alone. I remember talking to you. You're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. A, I mean, that's a big shift. And yeah, it's a real, sure. you know, and as it turns out, market shifts. Now you're learning lessons through that part of the process too. But Whew. so it, what's well, an NFT? NFT is a non-fungible token. Okay. It, it, we have to simplify here. Fungible means it's replaceable. So if I give you a hundred dollar bill, and then I take it away and give you another hundred dollar bill. You're like, oh, I don't care. Give me whatever one you want. A one dollar bill, same thing. If if I buy a North Face coat from the mall or I, I order it from northface.com and they send me a coat, doesn't matter what coat I get. Not at all. It's fungible. Non-fungible is like something that it's only one. Based on what it is, it's a one of one. It's a trading card. It's a Michael Jordan rookie card. And it's it's has to be verified on the blockchain. So what this means is an NFT is something that is tangible, but also something that gives value based on what it is. So let me explain. And a lot of people don't understand. They're like, it's just a JPEG. It's not just a JPEG. That's like saying it's it's just a rookie card of Michael Jordan and it's not the actual one. Oh, it's just a, it's a picture of it. No, it's not the actual one. So I could take a picture of the Mona Lisa and say it's the Mona Lisa. But if I go there and try to get money for it, what happens? I get arrested. So a lot of people that say it's just a picture, I realize quickly how, how false that was. So let me give you an example. So an NFT is purely a value transaction and it's based on what you get. So some NFTs are worthless. Some make a lot of money and some are worth something. It's just an interchangeable asset. So if I give you an NFT and I say, hey, with this NFT, you get blank. Then it becomes value based on the perceived value of what you're getting. So baseball, a, a ticket to a baseball game, a ticket to a Yankees game, a ticket to the Lakers game. If the ticket was turned into an NFT, it'd be the same thing as a ticket. But it's, here's the cool thing. It's the first time in history where it's an interchangeable asset where in a sense you can sell it. So if I went to an event, Tony Robbins event, and I bought a ticket, I went to a mastery event, it's 10 grand. I went to the event, I met some cool people, I got some breakthroughs, I left, done. Exchange, one of one, money gone, done. With NFTs, it's interchangeable. So when you get an NFT and it gives you access to networking or it gives you access to like my academy or it gives you access to a learning center. It gives you access to an event. After the event, you can then sell the NFT somewhere else forever. You can sell it a thousand times. And the people that create these make money over and over and over again. So if you have 5,000 NFTs and you sell all the NFTs, on the back end of the NFTs is a course, is an event, is a, a mastermind, is a networking group. You can so, use so it's almost as, like So it's almost like reselling your Netflix password. It's like, hey, you, you're going to get access to this thing, this library of things. Verifiable on the blockchain. Yeah, where you so don't now do once it transfers, I'm out, you're in, and good. And the first time somebody explained NFT to me where I really understood it was with tickets. Like, you know, you think about Bored Apes or any of those, and you're like, yeah, it's just a picture of, it's art. But then you connect it to like real life objects, like a, a ticket. You know, normally when Ticketmasters sells a ticket, that once they that one exchange is done, Ticketmaster's done making money. They sold the ticket. It's now in the hand of somebody who can scalp it and resell it, and they can resell it, and they can resell it. Yep. But imagine if it was an NFT, every time it got transferred to a new person, Ticketmaster got paid again. And that's when it clicked for me. I was like, oh, this is so brilliant. It's a contract on the blockchain, and it's that simple. And whatever you connect to that contract, whatever happens next. So you decided... I'm going to create an NFT. What'd you call it? 
the coalition crew. The coalition crew. And they got and access. You, and you got cool artwork. Like you still had the front end artwork and all that but stuff. But we didn't necessarily care as much about that. Yeah. So that artwork, whatever ones I bought, and you buy with Ethereum, you buy with crypto. How do you Ethereum, buy it? Buy with on the, on MetaMask. You buy it with Ethereum. Ethereum. Okay. So you got to have some Ethereum. I hear Peter's about to launch his NFT. I'm getting excited, and in your ta- and your promotional m- marketing materials, like, hey, this NFT comes with these things, these benefits. So, so first, let me give my wife credit because she was the one studying obsessively, and she's like, we need to do this. And at first, I'm like, I don't know. But then I started studying and researching and watching and the interchangeable assets, what's like, wow, that's a pretty big game changer. <clears throat> so I said, how can we, and it, it, was, it was kind of a shit show. There were scams and rug pulls, which means people will launch a project and they were valuing anonymous people. So how I got into NFTs, Cody, uh, is I got pissed off. People were getting scammed. They didn't know how to run businesses. There was all these kids crushing it. They didn't know how to run business. They didn't know how to create a culture. They didn't know how to actually give value. So there was a bad name uh, with utility and value. So I said, you know what? I have all the resources and the team and the knowledge and the experience to actually run this like a real business and change the game. So I said, I'm going to create an NFT and I'm going to give them, to show how serious I am, I'm going to give them access to our academy, which is $8,000 to $24,000. I'm going to give them access to that with one NFT because if you sell out, you can only get it on the secondary market. And if you sell out fast and people see the value and there's this demand shock, what happens to the price? So our NFT, the second we, we, we launched it, it was 0.08, three, 300, 400 bucks. It skyrocketed to one ETH, which at the time was $4,500. So people that bought five or 10, that's $4,000. People were making 10, 20, 30, 40,000 bucks. In a- so, and if they wanted to flip it, they could. They could flip it, get all the value, and then make money on the flip. Love it. It's a win-win. Now, and we're how hard money- is it to actually create an NFT? It's not that. It used to be hard. It's not that hard. You just need a smart contract. You need the right people to create the artwork and uh, have some metadata on the artwork. We, did, we, did, we went extra mile where uh, most of the traits, uh, you get something in return. So if they have, if they get a cheetah with Bitcoin eyes, they get access to our thousand dollar crypto course and our mastermind, our Telegram group, and they get access to Tim Sykes's ten thousand dollar trading course. If they just get one with the Bitcoin or Ethereum yeah. eyes, if they have one with the hat, they get a hat. If they have one with a wine glass, they get access to our wine event. We've done five events. We did an event in Tulum, Playa del Carmen, San Diego, and people are loving it. It's networking at its finest. And whether Ethereum's up or down, they're getting so much value from the academy, from the networking, from the millionaire calls. It's a win-win. So it, it was just, it made sense to me in my mind. And I, I kind of tried to go against the grain and share with the industry, hey, don't value anonymous users. The number one cause- What does that mean, anonymous users? they would create a project and no one knew who created it. Got it. So- It was if, anonymous. So, so what, why would you ever invest in something you have no idea who's behind because it? Because people have FOMO and hype, and that's why so many people lost money. So I'd be like, why would you invest in a project with no owner? They could rug pull instantly. And what happened is the second they were done, they didn't fulfill any promises, and they left. They deleted their account, and everyone's like, what happened? What do you think happened? He's anonymous. And people don't know how to deal with pressure. And there's some negatives where- there's such an instant pleasure focus. If you buy an NFT and it doesn't go up in three days, like 10X, people sell it and drop the floor. And they're like, I don't like that NFT. So it's like, it's very premature. Yeah, it was very, super, super speculative. Very premature. Yeah. But we decided to have actual utility. 
So we add utility with it. So whether the price of ETH goes up or down, people get so much value with it and they can make money selling it. It's kind of a win-win. So now your NFTs are floating out there. Floating. We have 5,000, 5,200 just floating and they buy and sell. Okay. And so now if I want one, I have to go on to- OpenSea, type in Coalition Crew. OpenSea, type in Coalition Crew, search it out, find what utility is attached to that NFT and then boom. And then you get it and then you can- Sell it when you want. So when I get it, like when I when I go to a website, and this is really this is awesome. You're this is really curious, me. Yeah, I, I really want to know. Um, so like when I go, like let's say I wanted to sign up for um, Clever Investor, and I go to the Clever Investor website and I buy a ninety seven dollar course. It's going to send me an email. It's going to send me login information. It's going to send me all this stuff. And then I, my team's going to be notified. And then I'm going to you know, start interacting with that student, trying to make sure that they get everything that they need from the support side of things. Is that the same with an NFT? And like if, if OpenSea, some dude sells me your NFT, how do you know that I now have access to all your stuff? We get notified right away. So it's on Discord. So, so I could look right now. It shows, so we just, we've had... A lot of sales today. Oh, right. wow. So those are all NFTs being transferred. Yeah, being sold. So so we, some guy looks at it. We make sure he checks his wallet. If it's the first time ever buying one, then we get him access to all of the stuff he gets. And then he gets introduced in Discord. And there's a thing in Discord where you can see if they're brand new, if they're a whale, if they've been around. There's It's crazy. It is a really cool, Discord's a really cool new technology. Um, so that's how you know. Got it. So you have team members in your Discord that are like kind of just watching for these transfers and then reaching out and yep. making sure that everybody's taken Make care sure. of. So it's different. You got to, it's a, it's, a, it's a new way of But if you it. have a team, that's why I just, I knew that we could crush We almost got to automate it though. We got to figure out like the next layer. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some technology. Yeah, there's economy. automation uh, on the on the front, but the secondary sales, there yeah. needs to be a little bit more. But it's not, it's not that difficult if you have one where, person. Where do you think that that market is going? Because like right now, would I want to launch an NFT with crypto down? Um, well, we there was a project that I helped just launch that did two or three million dollars in a week. Oh wow! You know exactly so people, who yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So pe yeah, people are still doing it. It just, it really. So here's what you have to look at it. It's the value, and if you bring in Web two to Web three, it's amazing. So I got involved in the board apes. I've owned four board apes, and I've made probably I probably made. $400,000 in two months just on Board Apes, not even on my own project, just buying and selling. So I'd buy them for, for 70 Ethereum and sell them for 120, 130. I'd buy them for 80, sell them for 110. So the market's pretty predictable where if you just buy really low and wait for it to go back up, it's, it's with the top projects, you have to only focus on the top, top project. The top 1% of projects make all the money. All the other ones are flying the pants. Even if they do well at launch, the, the founders don't know how to run a business, so they eventually validate or give up and everyone loses money. So that's why I'm, I'm a stickler. I'm very big on having a criteria, five or six things like, hey, make sure you know the founders. Make sure you, I tell people, make sure you study the founders like crazy. If they've never ran a business, if it's like a 22-year-old kid who just wants to make money, don't invest in that project. So I'm helping people maneuver and navigate in a way where they can make a ton of money, whether the market's up or down. But we took it a step further where it's like, hey, we want people in our community to make money in and out of Web3. If you if Web3 crashes and ETH goes down, and NFTs go down, it doesn't really matter for our people because they're making money other ways. So we just did it differently. So what's now now that the market's kind of shifted down, 
how are you approaching it? Like, is it a sustainable model for the education space or is it like, we did it, it was cool. I don't think I'd do it again. I would do it different. Like, where, There's where, a lot where of flaws. You, yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a flawed business model. Here's why you make all the money on the front end. And when you make all the money on the front end, you only make 2.5 to 10% on the back end. And if, if the floor price isn't like 100 ETH, like Board Ape, then you don't make much money. Then you have to pay people out. So what happens is a lot of people do a launch, then they do another launch, and they just keep doing launches, to make, but they don't deliver. Yeah. So we've taken it, I don't want to say hit, but we value integrity and in delivering so much that like now I'm, I'm delivering. And we always told people, this is not about the market up and down. This is about actual real life value. This is not about value in the metaverse. This is about real life value. So now we're still working hard. We're putting together stuff, but now we make, we make 7.5% on the sales. So if we do a decent amount of ETH, it's still, it's like a couple thousand. So it's way lower. Yeah. Than so made. how do you get off the ride? Um, as the creator yeah like is there is there a, like hey guys that was a good four-year run we're winding it down i mean i think you automate and systemize it and give them proper expectations so they're getting stuff right now consistently that i'm doing in the academy as well so it's like it's not a ton of extra work yeah. but you definitely have to figure it out you have to continue doing launches like can a you 3.0 4.0 yeah, can you do a uh um a period of time where like, this is good. Like we're going to let you all know on the front end, this is a three-year project. Yeah. And then we're done. You can also do a, you could also sell it. Oh yeah. I've all seen, I've seen some people sell. Yeah. Sell, but but sell I would say NFT have project. the end goal in mind. We always, so my vision was to just create the project that is uh, focused on wealth and web two growth and networking. So regardless of the, what the market does, you guys are still getting value and we're still getting sales every single day. Um, so when we, we build this community, when we do another launch, it's crazy. Yeah. And we is, continue is that, to add Is that value. your plan or what, what, what's the long-term plan for you yeah, right now? Like, I mean, like what's getting you excited? Yeah. What's getting me excited is continuing to kind of shape the space and help people launch the right projects and then maybe making a percentage of that or getting our crew involved as well. But it's, it's tricky because people didn't realize how much scamming and fraud and, and how bad of a business mentality the whole culture had. And some people might not like me saying this, but it's just like the culture of, of expectations and the instant pleasure is, is there's no patience, there's no long-term vision. So if we just outlast and have a long-term vision. Dude, it was such a money grab. Yeah. Well, it reminded me- We didn't me, want to do that. It reminded me of crypto in 2015 and 16. Everybody was just going ham with the ICOs. And then they all imploded. And then we went to Crypto Winter and then, then it popped back. But and what's cool, NFTs came out. And what's cool about this is we tried to be transparent or we made people a ton of money. They, they, our, our product, I think, 36X'd. So like we had two drops and still still 9 or 10X and the other ones, I think, 5X. So still anyone that bought is still making a ton of money. They just, maybe they didn't cash out at 35X, but we made people a lot yeah, that's got to feel rewarding. Money for yeah, sure. Good. And if they don't ever sell and they hold, it's like I don't want to tell you. We told you to to make some profits. What are what so are some what are some things that uh, you would tell your younger self? I ask every podcast guest this towards the end, just kind of you know giving your twenty year old self a little little pep talk. I would kind of say like, chill out, be more strategic. Like you're gonna get there. You're gonna get to where you want to go. Don't be so uptight, anxious. Uh, stress, tense. 
I, I, I was such like a, I got to get to the next destination so fast that I, I never took a deep breath. And I probably would have got there faster. I would tell myself like, hey, take a deep breath and thoroughly think things through. Like figure out who you are, what your strengths are. Try to only master one thing or two things, not 50 things. I've made money so many different ways, which is cool to teach. I've made, we've made six or seven figures in like 13, 14 different industries, but I probably could have made a hundred million in one. So mm. it's like, you know what I mean? So like chill out, everything will happen how you want it. It might just take a little bit longer. Um, keep your priorities straight. Just don't put anything above being a world-class person, I think would be my advice. Just, just be a world-class human being. And I would also say, don't forget the greatest currency on planet earth is the effect you have on others. That's what you'll remember. And also that's it. Be ready to meet Cody. He's a psycho. He's a crusher. <laughs> He'll sell you drugs out of a Burger King drive through window. Eighth grade. <laughs> In eighth grade. Just gets younger and younger. I was five years old working at Burger King. Hey, listen, was man, 12. It, it, this has been awesome, man. We, we covered a lot of ground. How can people fo- find you, follow up with you, get involved with your, your stuff besides going to OpenSea and buying yeah, some I mean, I mean, cheetahs? Whatever they think, what would be cool is I just launched the Audible version of Seven Rules of Seven Figures. It's on Audible. And that's probably what I'm most proud of because the seven rules of seven figures is kind of which a is blueprint. your book, my book, your book, yeah. And I'm I'm humbled to say it's been endorsed by Forbes and Patrick Bet David and Kiyosaki and Grant Cardone. But it's 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 a it took me a year and a half, two years to write. It's a blueprint on how to get to your first seven figures, uh, with speed as fast as possible without selling your soul, without working a thousand hours a week. And I just released the Audible, and I spent a couple more hours on the Audible than I should have updating stuff. So if they've already read the book, the Audible's way to, it's like- So it's your voice? My voice. Yeah. And you've been done really good going into the studio, creating mixtapes, creating pep talks. Like you, you're, you got that musical talent. It's my, no, it's my passion. I just, I I feel like I have a unique perspective based on my life and, and I try to motivate in a new way. Cause I think motivation, Cody is getting so boring. That's why I like your stuff. You're intense. The motivational gurus, it's getting so fluffy and watered down. Yeah. It's so bad. Nobody wants to offend anybody. No, it's like- so I just wanted to give people the real deal. I might offend some people, but at least people will question themselves and get actual results like you do. So yeah, it's like, love that. I think that's what I'm most proud of is this. All right, so get, get the Seven Rules to Seven Figures book by it's Peter Bood. SevenRulesAudio.com. Seven Rules Audio? There you go. Yeah. Awesome. Hey. Appreciate you, I'm man. bringing you back, dude. I'm bringing you back one million percent. Follow the follow the man. He's a, he's yeah, made a big impact on my appreciate life. Appreciate you for everything that you do. Thank you, dude. Just keep doing it. Appreciate you. All right, guys. That's all I have for you in this one. Uh, if you liked it, smash the like button. Drop a comment down below if you're watching this as a replay on YouTube. And of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and share it with some of your friends. That's all we have for now. Take care. Comb your hair. We out.